All right, joining us now on Through the Ringer, she is slowly becoming a recurring guest on the show. This is three straight weeks. She is the great Nora Princiati. Nora, it is great to see you. And guess what? You have a little bit of a background behind you. I don't want to get people too excited, but it looks pretty good. Tate, I can't even claim this as my own. Um, I'm, I'm sitting on a couch <laughs> at my boyfriend's parents' house uh, where we are hanging out for the day because nice. over the weekend uh they kindly gave us a couch that they were getting rid of and after moving it from connecticut to new york mm. requiring a guy at our building to take out a saw so that we could get the legs <laughs> off the thing so that it would fit into our service weekend. <laughs> we came back out to drop off this u-haul that we'd rented and just went you know what? we're not going back into the city tonight it's not happening. It's over. So I can't even claim like, yeah, the fact that there is stuff behind me for the first time ever. Uh, it's not even my doing, but we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there slowly but surely. And we're going to get into some training camp news and notes from, you know, your first person stories. But before we get to that, I have to ask you about Hard Knocks, because the last time you were on the show, yes. we were forecasting what it's going to look like. Um, and it was honestly delivered, in my opinion. The, the the series opens up this season. We get Broadway Joe. We get Super Bowl three. We get flash forwards to Aaron Rodgers. We get uh, Lee Schreiber in person. Um, there's three major cameos that we saw in the first episode here. Now we have another major cameo. Somebody's coming in the now door we behind the fourth me. cameo uh, right behind you. Um, but on Hard Knocks, we got these three cameos. So I'm going to let you choose your adventure, and we can focus on one. So the first one that we get is Jason Garrett. Um, it is a small cameo, but also a hilarious cameo. The second cameo that we get is Method Man, uh, who is also at Jets camp. And the third cameo we get is Leif Schreiber himself, the voice of God, as uh, told to us by Aaron Rodgers. And he comes to camp. He has a helicopter entrance let's start there which of these three cameos blew your mind the most and let's focus on one okay let's let's talk about the voice of god himself okay first of all are are we now (laughs) becoming part of the overall media apparatus that is doing aaron Rodgers' bidding and making this nickname a thing like Mm. nobody has ever called him that before right that wasn't a thing this is just something that Aaron this is strictly in Aaron's head yeah (laughs) this is an Aaron Rodgers made-up thing that we are all at everyone at Jets camp by the way they are great actors because they're all in on it and they basically they basically sold the idea this is Aaron Rodgers world and we're just living in it well except for Nathaniel Hackett right because Rodgers goes up to Hackett (laughs) and is like he's here like the voice of God, go talk to him. And Hackett clearly has absolutely no idea who Rogers is talking about. And it's just like, huh? Like, what uh, What are you, ta- what are you, ta- voice of God, mm-hmm. leave Schreiber, man, like go talk to him. And that to me is evidence that this is just not a thing, right? And, and Rogers is just willing it to become a thing. And look, we're <laughs> helping him, right? Because we are, uh, we are perpetuating the nickname. It's not a bad one because he kind of is within the Hard Knocks universe. But I, I just want the record to reflect that no one had ever called him that before. Yes, officially on the record. When you hear someone say the voice of God, you immediately go to Morgan Freeman. I, I yes. would assume most people go to Morgan Freeman, yes, not to leave Schreiber. You. And then also, I'm going to be honest, the breaking of the fourth wall, like I like when I have the quote unquote voice of God just behind the scenes and you almost forget it's Leif Schreiber. You think it's just like the voice of the NFL inside the NFL, just the shield. And now when I see him on the sidelines and he's talking about being a cornerback and, you know, he's talking about his wrinkled shirt, it took a little allure away from the whole experience for me just a, just a little bit. You know what I mean? And I think this was all Aaron Rodgers bidding. I think this is part of him agreeing to the show. He's like, I want the voice of God in person. I want to shake God's hand. I've gotten all conspiratorial that it's some sort of sag after thing that allows him to to be narrating it because if anybody from sag after or hbo wants to respond to my emails that would be fantastic i still don't understand how this is allowed to happen (laughs) but that was my theory was like somehow if he's on camera it makes it better or whatever to be clear i have absolutely no evidence other than the musings of my own distorted brain uh to indicate that that might be true but that was my theory i like yours that the jets who notoriously did not want to do this did not want to be on hard knocks had like a rider like a list of demands like the list yes. of receiver demands that rogers claims right. he didn't have during the offseason even though um the jets signed every one of his friends and the list for hard knocks was just i need to meet meet the voice of god Right, on the first episode, and Aaron Rodgers even said to the cameras, like, this is a great production, I love Hard Knocks. It just felt like 
he was in on it, and they met all of his demands. It's kind of like when a rapper goes to a show, he's like, I need a black leather couch. I need this amount of bottle, <laughs> right? Like, these, these are the things that, that Aaron Rodgers like said Spears before. Britney Spears only likes green M&Ms or whatever. Right, right. Everyone has their biddings, you know? Like, I'm sure Method Man there was a little bit jealous of Aaron Rodgers getting all of his demands. He's like, I wish I had that level of treatment. And HBO and Hard Knocks, they came through, they delivered, and we got a great first episode. Uh, there was also the Broadway moment, which I think was the biggest breakout moment of this episode. The charcuterie board. Um, uh, it was called the charcuterie board or something like that. Um, and Solomon Thomas, who obviously famously played at Stanford, he he could not control himself. He did not know what to say in this response. But it, it did feel like there were some genuine moments, even though maybe Sauce and Aaron Rodgers with the handshakes, they were trying to make some moments. There were some genuinely funny moments in this first episode. Am I correct in saying that? It was an exciting episode. I mean, they were clearly going all in on this is the Aaron Rodgers show. And I'm really yes. curious to see if all of Hard Knocks is the Aaron Rodgers show. I thought it was interesting that we got through that whole first episode and it was all centered around the quarterback, all centered around Rodgers. And we didn't really get into any of the stuff that had to do with, okay, he's getting older. Yeah, he was injured last year, but there was a dip in performance. Um, he has been a notoriously hard guy to work with. Things did not end well in Green Bay. And a lot of that stuff for all of the focus on on 12 you know, it fell by the wayside a little bit. So I'm curious to see if they get into it. I hope they get into the Hackett stuff more, right? Like they kind of address the yes. Sean Payton thing, but I want I want more of that. Um, so I hope the scope broadens just beyond Aaron Rodgers is here to save the day and save the New York Jets. But I still thought it was a really fun first episode. I mean, they're just like, that team has juice right now. So it's fun to get the inside look at them. Yeah, it was fun, and I think that's what we all wanted. It was a good way to get you know back into the conversations around NFL football, and that's where we're going to lead us because we're going to talk about training camps. Obviously, we're all watching Hard Knocks together, but you have been boots on the ground. You have been checking out. You've been getting the vibes of each camp. I want to start with the New England Patriots. Let's do a vibe check there because uh, a lot of conversations about this offense. Uh, if you look at their over-unders, their over 7.5 wins is plus, plus 116. Under is minus 142. What did you see at Patriots? Patriots camp and if you had to get a vibe check on what was happening there is it good vibes bad vibes or neutral vibes at Patriots camp so overall I think it's pretty good it love it we talked about this last week I think it wasn't going to take very much for it to have a, a better feel than last year's camp in New England a lot of that is centered around Mac Jones who I think does genuinely look look pretty good as far as concerns for the offense I really don't think it has all that much to do with the quarterback their offensive mm. line has been really banged up and that has been a concern um it 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 showed itself in a pretty ugly way in their first preseason game particularly in the run game they just could not get anything going but I think what's been revealed about the offense so far through camp has been some good some bad I think the good is that under Bill O'Brien, Mac just looks so much more comfortable. They're running play action. They're running the RPO stuff. They're doing the stuff that he is good at. And you can tell both in terms of the results and just in terms of, of the vibe and the feel. Everybody seems happier. Everybody seems more comfortable. The challenge has been that they are relying on a lot of guys like Riley Reef, like Trent Brown, to hopefully mm -hmm. play significant roles tackle and, and on the offensive line in general and those are just not guys that you feel great about relying on I mean with Reef it's it's age and injury history with Brown he's been dealing with um this sort of nagging slightly unclear injury and dating back to prior years with the team there have been conditioning issues apparently he arrived in in great shape this year and arrived on time and that's all been fine but both of those guys have not been consistently available um, they've been using City So and Connor McDermott in a rotation at right tackle, just unproven players, right? And they've also been dealing with some health issues for Mike Onwenu and Cole Strange. So uh, the fact that that is a challenge that they're working through, I think is both emblematic of, of where some of the downs have come from so far through camp and is also just one of the things that I would be watching for this entire season because even if Mac takes pretty significant strides, which I would expect him to, and seven and a half, by the way, like that feels like a low number to me. Um, just because this team, even with the lows that they've experienced post Brady, Belichick tends to get him to win like seven, eight, nine games. Um, 
So that feels low to me, but the thing that I would be concerned about is the offensive line. Yeah, that's those are all very valid points. And like you said, we kind of went in depth a little bit on the Patriots last week. But all in all, good vibes. Uh, it's good for Bill Belichick. I think it's it's time for a little bounce back here for Belichick. And, you know, the Belichick brand, it's taken a little bit of a hit when people talk about him. Everyone's talking about Andy Reid. Is Andy Reid actually the goat in front of all of our eyes right now? You know, that, that's, a, that's a very, you know, uh, inside football debate that's happening amongst, uh, you know, the talking heads that we all love. I want to talk about El- – Before yeah, we move on, can I tell you one more Patriots thing that is – really interesting so Malik Malik Cunningham um, Mm. quarterback turned receiver turned quarterback again apparently uh, has been getting work at at QB both in late in their preseason game against the Texans he got in and got some reps and then he's been taking some red red zone snaps at quarterback in practice including with the ones Mm. so I think that is just going to be a fascinating thing to watch develop just because he has some mobility and some athleticism that Mac Jones does not have, that Bailey Zappi does not have. So if that's something, if that's a wrinkle that they might incorporate here and there during the regular season, I think that would be really fascinating just because I think we've always talked about how mobile quarterbacks in particular have given Bill Belichick defenses trouble. And he was so excited to sign Cam Newton, who was not the athlete he once was by the time he got to the Patriots, but a lot of what you heard from people with the team then, and I bring it up just because the Cam Newton experience at quarterback is the one that Bill Belichick has been the most positive about. Even if the results were not necessarily spectacular, he just seemed to really enjoy that. And you heard from a lot of people there that one thing that he loved was that Cam had always torn him up and had been (laughs) one of those guys that they really, who had great performances against the Patriots. And it just seemed like Belichick was so excited to have someone who at least he even thought of as like, here's this true dual threat, super athlete guy. And I'm just really curious to see if, if that's something that they do when it actually counts, because so far they've been peppering Malik in there in, in some ways that are really interesting. And Malik, when he was at Louisville, a lot of people said he was going to be Lamar Jackson 2.0. He rushes, you know, five carries, 34 yards, and a touchdown in that Thursday night preseason game against the Texans, like you mentioned. So he is uh, one of those guys that could be in the fold, kind of like a Brad Smith back with the Jets, or we see it with Taysom Hill, right, with the Saints. So just kind of like a, a back, not a quarterback, not a running back, not a fullback, just someone that you put put back there. He could do a lot of things. Uh, Cam Newton, that's kind of what he turned into late into his career. Um, you just put him back there and see you can see what happens, especially when you get to the goal line. So I like that. I like I like a little intel there on Malik Cunningham. That's good. And also, if he's wearing the quarterback jersey, that's uh, that's a big win for all the Louisville fans who uh, wanted him to be Lamar Jackson 2.0. And maybe, who knows, they play the Ravens. Lamar Jackson has a little bit of a Spider-Man meme moment where he's like, wait a second, did they get me? On the Patriots now, this is blow- this is breaking my brain. Right. Uh, well, and you then know, that we, is we- sort of the path not taken, right? Because there's there's mm-hmm. um, the Patriots very famously could have drafted Lamar Jackson. Yes, and there's certainly some regret there, I think, amongst a lot of Patriots fans. But maybe this is the dollar store version of it. We were out in Los Angeles at Ringer HQ, so on Saturday we saw the Chargers and the Rams play each other in preseason. Obviously, the preseason results aren't the most important thing to talk about in the city of L.A. I want to talk about the backup quarterback of the Rams because Matthew Stafford (laughs) was dealing with some injuries, but now he's got Stetson Bennett, who might be older than him, playing behind him. I'm not sure. We need to look up those ages, but Stetson is a backup, looked great, played at Georgia. They're both Bulldogs, and did you take anything away? Obviously, it's preseason, but did you feel good about maybe the chances of Stetson Bennett being a successor for Matthew Stafford here in LA? So long-term successor, I think we're really just going to have to see. Um, He did have a very good preseason debut, looked good out there. Uh, Must have been fun to be back in that stadium. (laughs) Right, he loves SoFi Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Him and Taylor Swift. Um, (laughs) The thing that was interesting about Rams camp to me is, and Stetson Bennett is very much included in this, What a weird roster, man. Like, that is the most strange, strange collection of players that I've seen on a training camp tour really ever at this point in the Mm. year for for any NFL franchise. There's 36 rookies, 
plus Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. So some of the most famous, uh, experienced people in the sport. And then just these kids running around. And this is not me saying that the Rams are going to be good. They're going to blow everybody out of the water. They're going to surpass all of the fairly low expectations because they are definitely the best team to play. Like never heard of this guy with when you get to the (laughs) second or third level of the roster. But Mm -hmm. what I will say is that it was a really, really, really exciting atmosphere. Um, Sean McVay historically has been one of the leaders of the don't get injured during training camp in the preseason movement. He has not played a lot of starters uh, in meaningful snaps in preseason games. They tend to keep camp fairly light. But I was there on the last day when they were down in Irvine for the first portion of their training camp, which is typically a pretty light practice. It's typically like walkthrough-esque and everybody's just having a nice time, closing things out. They talk about stuff, but it's not a lot of hitting and it's not a long practice. They were going for it. And McVeigh mm. was like chasing Stetson Bennett around the practice field. It was <laughs> one of the more intense uh, training camp stops that I got to watch. They went the full length of time that they're allowed to practice. They were hitting. And you can get the sense that the fact that they have a couple dozen, you know, and I guess Stetson Bennett would not be included with this, but like a couple dozen 20-year-olds who are fighting for jobs making up that large a portion of the roster, it's infusing a ton of energy. And I think even, you know, you talk to Aaron Donald, who has absolutely nothing left to prove in his career. He's he's won a title. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. He's been very easily, arguably, the best singular player at his or any position just based on sheer talent and ability for years and years and years. And he's, like, going at it. Um so I, I just thought it was really interesting. And again, it's it's hard to, you know, you don't want to go too overboard with stuff like that and say that that's going to make up for the fact that they have this really, really inexperienced and unproven roster. But the the vibes were really good and they were working really, really hard out there. So I certainly took note of that. Yeah, it felt like the Rams, after they won the Super Bowl, everyone on their team of consequence was contemplating retirement, right? It, it felt like that was the story. <laughs> Whoever it was, whether it's Aaron Donald, Shaw McVay, Matthew Stafford, uh, OBJ, everyone was thinking about retirement, other than Cooper Cup, maybe. Um, but I think when you look at this roster, like you said, it's a very young team, but then they have these cogs on, on each side of the ball, whether it be Cup, whether it be Donald, whether it be Stafford, and you have Shaw McVay. And if you look at the Super Bowl winning team last year, right, they had six rookies starting in the Super Bowl so it's not insane to think that rookies can have an impact on a team at a high level and everyone in LA that you talk to Rams fans Nora they say you know they look at the over under six and a half and they say hammer the over they love this team they kind of have all bought in and I I feel like the Rams maybe are under the radar this year a little bit more so than maybe ever and it's kind of wild because they have all the name recognition still on the roster that the the six and a half I find tough just because when mm. you when you really when you take a, a sober look at it, there is less proven talent on this roster than all but maybe the Cardinals and the Texans. It, it in an objective sense it is slim pickings. But I, I agree with you that there is some cause for optimism just because you think about someone like Sean McVay, who seemed genuinely distraught thought about leaving when faced with an underperforming team and you know one of the first like bad seasons of his professional life and then I was down there watching them work and it it really does seem like getting to just teach and they have to do a ton of teaching they've had to (laughs) pare down the way that they do training camp in a very significant way they cannot just assume that these guys can can rep something twice and then they've got it and they can run it at full speed. There is a lot of fundamental work going on. Uh, periods have to be, there have to be fewer periods, I think, than a lot of teams would do in a normal training camp because you just have to pace it out because there is some 100 level stuff that has to happen um, at Rams camp this year that, that probably isn't having to happen at, at all 31 other camps. But it really seems like they are enjoying the process of just teaching these guys. So uh, results-wise, I might be a little cautious about it. I mean, the entire kicking unit was born after the year 2000. 
Oh yeah, I don't want to hear that. They're they're kids. <laughs> like they're just kids. Um, hey, I don't trust Gen Z kickers. I don't like that. That's a, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll walk back what I said earlier. <laughs> I'm not, not listening to the Rams fans anymore. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> but it's it's it'll be at least interesting because it mm. true like. It is weird. It's it's weird to have that many just like undrafted rookies having to to be part of your team. Um, but it was at least fascinating, which I think is sort of more than I necessarily expected going into that stop. Yeah, I like the word fascinating, and I'm going to take that word and I'm going to implement it into a different camp that you saw, and that's the Cowboys camp, because I do find it fascinating that every single year Jerry Jones goes to the table and he says, I'm all in. And we all say, Jerry, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is the year, but it seems like you think it is. And it's been, it feels like it's been like that for five years at least. Um, it's a lot of pressure on Dak Prescott. I've seen a lot of footage coming out of camp that's showing him throwing interceptions. People seem to be aggregating this at a level unlike, you know, I've seen in quite some time. Um, can we talk about the Cowboys? What are the expectations? The line is at nine and a half wins. Um, but do you think Jerry has a real Super Bowl contender or is it the kind of the same deja vu we have again where they're a fringe pretty good team that can make the playoffs but we don't know if they can actually get to the top well he's got a great roster he's got one of the I would say one of the strongest Cowboys rosters in recent years and that's already been a very good team right so on on paper I see the logic and feeling like this is a really all-in year the thing is you're going all in with Brian Schottenheimer and and Mike McCarthy running that offense Mm -hmm. um and I think people's mileage. Kellen Moore now with the Chargers, so right. the, yeah, the, the, it's a, it's a, it's a new offensive regime, and it's a new offensive system to some degree. I mean, McCarthy had influence over the offense when when Moore was there, but they are changing some stuff. They're calling it the Texas Coast offense, which my colleague Ben Solak was talking about this on on extra point taken on the ringer NFL show and pointed out. And I very much agree with him. We can't have any more. We can't have any new offenses. We're not doing this. But it is a system that uses West Coast fundamentals and in a very West Coast offense way is leaning into timing and precision. That is what they have been hammering all camp. So and that might sound great, right? Like who doesn't love timing? Who doesn't love precision? But what we're talking about is where under Kellen Moore, they were doing a bit more find the green grass and Dak is going to find the open man wherever the defender isn't right. Like you guys can improvise a little bit, feel it out and just get to this general zone and the quarterback's going to find you with McCarthy and Schottenheimer really calling the shots here. They are doing a lot more CD lamb understand that Dak is Dak has a five-step drop on this play and you are going to cut in at exactly 12 yards of depth and you are going to end up in this exact spot and he is going to release at exactly this moment and then you're going to score a touchdown (laughs) so I was talking to Cooper Rush the backup right And, and he was talking about how a real point of emphasis this camp has been mimicking Dak's voice mimicking his cadences in the huddle because they want everything to be identical. Mm. So first of all, maybe that'll work. Maybe this is what they need to cut down on, on the interception problem that Dak had last year, which I think is there are multiple reasons why they are doing this. But if you had to name just one, no quarterback threw more interceptions than Dak um, or had a higher interception rate. I think Dak threw 15 picks and and had a 3.8 interception rate last season. And that is what they are trying to attack. Now, that's interesting for a couple reasons, one of which is that arguably they were not Dak's fault. A lot of those picks were not necessarily Dak's fault. Um, PFF has that stat of, of turnover-worthy plays, right? And so typically if a quarterback throws a turnover-worthy ball, it's going to get intercepted around 77% of the time. So the remaining roughly quarter, it should have been picked, but it doesn't end up getting picked and blah, 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 blah. When Dak threw a turnover-worthy ball last year, it got picked 88% of the time. Mm. Um, Since he entered the league, he has had nine picks off of dropped passes. So hits his receiver in the hands, but then they don't hang on to it. 
and the other team comes up with the ball. That's more than any other quarterback during that period. Also, prior to last season, Dak was not a high interception quarterback. This was just not a problem that he's had for most of his career. So first of all, there's some question that we're doing all of this stuff, changing around the offense, asking Cooper Rush to make his voice sound like Dak, to solve a problem that just might not really be a problem. And then second of all, we're talking about an offense that kind of got Mike McCarthy booted out of Green Bay. Now, the Rodgers factor definitely changes how how we should think about that situation. But it's worth noting that the, the last time he really got to implement this incredibly specific emphasis on time, timing West Coast offense, the quarterback eventually got pretty ticked off about it. So it's all well and good in, in July and August, right? But I think we will have to see. I am cautiously optimistic about it, not for schematic reasons, um, but because of personnel reasons. I, I think the addition of Brandon Cooks is going to be pretty massive for them just because they needed somebody to stretch the field. So I guess I'm all in with Jerry. <laughs> but if I were really to be all in with Jerry, the number one thing that I would ask him is just like, you sure about this coaching thing? Yeah, right. And maybe sign Zach Martin. That would probably be point number two, right? Yeah, that would be good, too. That would help. <laughs> yeah, that would be the big public thing that's going on. Uh, Three-step drop, thing... five-step drop, five <laughs> drop doesn't really matter if you're getting smacked in the face by a defensive end. Right. Let's get Zach Martin back in there. And uh, I watched the Johnny Manziel doc last night, and it's funny because, you know, the 16th pick that year that Manziel came out in 2013, the Cowboys, they could have taken Johnny. Everyone was saying, take Johnny football, bring him to Dallas. And Jerry, smartly back then, 10 years ago, took Zach Martin uh, with the 16th pick instead of Johnny football. And, uh, you know, bring him into camp, get him signed, Jerry. And I think uh, we could be right there. We could all be all in with you uh, this year for the Cowboys. One last thing, Nora. I saw this a bit of news before I let you go. Uh, it does look like Joe Burrow, based on what they're saying uh, coming out of Cincinnati, that he will be ready for Week One. We were very, you know, you know, reserved with our takes. We were very worried. Um, we we were hoping that it would be good news, but it looks like good news is coming out of Cincinnati from Zach Martin or not Zach Martin, Zach Taylor, um, and the Cincinnati team. So many Zachs. Team. So many Zach. Too many Zachs. <laughs> That's good news. I hope it's great. I, I hope he's really, really, really ready. Uh, that's good news in the Me sense too. that it means that Burrow is ahead of schedule or, or whatever we like to call it. That said, it's exactly what we were talking about last week. Not having Joe Burrow for week one is a much better fate than having like 70% Joe Burrow in a lingering way over the course of a longer stretch of the season. So I hope that they are being cautious. I bet that they are. Um, that's certainly not a binary between he comes back in week one versus he's not necessarily ready to come back in week one and does it anyway. The more Joe Burrow we can get, though, the better. The better. So. Yeah, right. We're on the same page there, so we want your Joe Burrow back. Uh, I lied. One last thing. Uh, what is 1989 Taylor's version? What does this mean? <laughs> I've seen it everywhere. Um, can you quickly explain what's happening? It feels like the world is shifting and changing, and uh, and I don't quite understand what's happening. October 27th, Tate. Get ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, Taylor okay, will be re releasing her re-recorded version of her fabulous album, 1989 it's got blank Great space year. it's got shake it off it's got wildest dreams nice. it's very exciting okay i love it uh nora thanks so much for coming to the show we'll have you back we'll talk about maybe 1989 on october 27th <laughs> who knows we'll forecast that a little bit a little bit but thanks so much for coming to the show hopefully you get the couch moved in and everything settled and uh, we'll have you back very soon anytime date thanks
All right, joining us now from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. You know him very well. He is the great Danny Heifetz. Danny, thanks so much for coming on through the Ringer, man. Thanks for having me, Tate. It's an honor. Long time no see, man. Long time no see. I hope DC is treating you well. And uh, unfortunately, we're not in por- person right now, but uh, we can talk about fantasy football because this is what you're, you know, an expert in. And this is the we have lots of questions here at Ringer HQ here in Los Angeles because uh, the big prompt of the day is the unwritten rules of fantasy football, Danny, because a lot of people have drafts coming up. They don't want to be the idiot in the room, right? They, they want to sound like they know what they're talking about. So they turn to people that are locked in like yourself. And uh, I want to start there. And this is a question just about actual fantasy football who's the third receiver to come off the board and this might be a personal question for me but uh is it justin jefferson obviously it's gonna be the first jamar chase is probably the second but who's that third guy that's where i want to start and then we'll get into some of these unwritten rules is it cooper cup am i crazy am i drinking the la kool-aid so let me start with the unwritten rules before you playing fantasy football. Here's an unwritten rule when you're an expert in fantasy football. If I have two players back to back, I have no idea who's going to do better. I have no idea. So right. if, like the real way to do it is rankings. I'm like, oh, the 111th, 112th guy. I don't know. They're the same. What really matters, like the true essence when you draft is you want to have tiers, buckets. It's common sense, right? Who's the I best player tiers. in the NBA? Yeah, it's like Giannis, Steph, Curry. You know, it's like they're all the top tier. The top tier in receiver right now, it's just Justin Jefferson. He's in his own tier. Okay, tier one. There you go. The second tier at receiver right now, I would call elite receivers whose quarterbacks are hurt or are hurt themselves or both, <laughs> where it's like Jamar Chase, second receiver. But if you're freaked out that Joe Burrow has a calf injury, that's totally cool. We got Tyreek Hill, who, you know, he has said he wants 2,000 receiving yards this year. But you know what? Tua Tungovailoa had at least three concussions last year, learning judo to fall. I don't know how that's going to go. Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, ended last year hurt, starting this year hurt. Matt Stafford was debating retiring this year. You got uh, Devontae Adams had an injury uh, last weekend. And then suddenly you're like, at this point, A.J. Brown, CeeDee Lamb, nothing wrong with a 24-year-old up-and-coming dude who isn't hurt. So I honestly think, to your point, it's Jefferson 1, Chase 2. I think there are seven receivers you could take third, and I'd have no problem with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little confounding, and I feel like every person I ask this question to, they give me a different answer, which is why I am a little bit fascinated by it, because it does feel like everyone just kind of has their guy, their pick. I've even seen DJ Moore, um, and maybe that's based on uh, what we saw this weekend in preseason. Can I ask you about that? Are th- Have there been any overreactions from preseason so far that you think are going to affect the fantasy board? Like someone saying his Justin Fields could be you know, one of the first two or three quarterbacks taken in a draft. Have you seen any overreactions like that, or are you buying into some of the hype? Oh, yeah. I got friends who are telling me Stetson Bennett's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> you know, it's I'm like, well, Stetson Bennett won a college football playoff. He was, wasn't was even eligible for his parents' health insurance at that point. I mean, we've got I, – I don't know. But I, there's always overreactions around preseason at this time of year. I mean, I think there's, like, general rules to follow. I think that a couple good guidelines ignore rookie – well, first of all, just so you know, preseason – is only for confirming our previous biases. It's if I have a take and I see it confirmed, that's accurate. It's kind of like your Maui (laughs) tournament, right? Where it's like, if if this defies what I already believe, it's meaningless, unless it (laughs) helps me. Yes, it's a blip, not a bomb. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Having said that, I think the a couple guidelines, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, it's not a rule, but the rookies, if rookies do things that are bad, don't let that actually impact how you feel. Do you remember mm. a couple years ago, Jamar Chase couldn't was dropping a bunch of balls in practice, yep. and then they asked him, and he was he was unfortunately naive enough to give a, an honest answer. He said, yeah, the football's in the NFL. They got the white stripe, so it looks different. And everyone ran as if Jamar <laughs> Chase couldn't catch footballs because they had a white stripe. Meanwhile, Jamar Chase is out here having like the top five most receiving yards through two seasons in like NFL history and is an absolute force. So, yeah, if you didn't draft him because he had a white stripe on the ball, and we see that every single year, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young look tough in the preseason so far. It doesn't matter. It's the first NFL action. Like, that's how it goes. Yeah, so let's talk about, uh, I think those are all very valid points, Danny. I want to talk about some of these unwritten rules of fantasy football because it feels like we're in the scheduling phase of drafts right now. Like, if you're in a league, everyone's trying to figure out when, you know, what Monday night, what Tuesday night, what night is available for everybody. Of course, there's three or four people that can't do whatever night is agreed upon. There's people that fall out and end up doing auto-drafting and things like that. But I wanted to ask you the simple question. What is the best time to draft uh, your fantasy football league, in your opinion? And is it uh, a personal preference is it really is there really not a a standard time to do it I think all those things you just said go together the best time to draft is when everyone can make the draft 
because if someone's auto drafting, it sucks. And if you're doing an auction league or like a salary cap league where you spend money, it double sucks. It's yes. not fun. I my hottest fantasy take is I don't know why people couldn't make the draft automatically get the best remaining player. That's kind of ridiculous to me. But if if your commissioner's sending out the doodle or the poll, like, hey, guys, when can you make it? Respond to the poll because nothing's worse <laughs> than the last person to respond when 10 people agree. Be like, oh, I can't make the time. I have, like, you know, my I am soccer league. It's like, look, the only people who get to veto something where the majority, if, unless you have children. Yes. No one kids, wants to hear Kids your are excuses. the number one thing. Yeah. Kid is the only excuse. So like, kid is sick. Kid has a dance recital. Kid has a game. Yeah. Those are the only things you can accept. Everything else, you're just being a, you're not a team player. You're being Kids, selfish. weddings, funerals. Yes. A, a, anything outside of that, I don't want to hear it. Like, you can make it. <laughs> if we got 10 out of 12 people, you better show up. I like it, Danny. That This is the kind of fire and passion I wanted to hear. Uh, so let's move on. Let's keep running through this. What's the best way to determine the draft order? Uh, let's say you are the commissioner of the league. How do we figure this out? It depends when you do it. It's too late, but my favorite uh, is actually a friend of mine, Brian, does this with his friends from home. They all pick Little League World Series teams. Oh, I love and that. That's they a good just, one. Whoever makes it the furthest wins. I think if you can do it early enough, that's always my And then also, it's so fun to just have a random dog in the race for uh, the Little League World Series. But obviously it's already got going, so you could still pick some teams. But other than that, there's a lot of like simulators. You can you can do a real horse race. Shout out FanDuel TV. You can do horse racing. You can pick <laughs> a simulated horse race. You, there's a lot of weird things on YouTube. You can go and just watch a video random eye racing. I don't know. Uh, and then also, like you could do a randomizer, but realistically it's a lot more fun to like, or even you want to make a playlist. Everyone throws a random song on, shuffle it, see what order. There's a lot of more creative ways you can go than just a straight randomizer. Yeah, I feel like the randomizer is obviously what a lot of people end up doing because it's the quote-unquote easiest way to do it. But I think what you said about the Little League World Series is perfect. We're in the dog days of summer. We need a reason to watch sports. And uh, if you have the ability to invest in a Little League World Series team and those 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds kind of dictate the fate of your fantasy football team, that is... That's good stuff. That's what we want to hear. That's what Tate, we, do you know if does FanDuel Sportsbook have odds in the Little League World Series? How much money absolutely. have you lost already? Absolutely they do. And uh, I have not started betting yet. I've been waiting for the qualifiers to all work out. I honestly, I end up falling in love with, in love with teams like during the qualifying period. And then they lose. And I'm like, I really like that Billings Montana team. I thought, I thought they really had the juice. And, uh, and unfortunately, they lost to Utah. So they're not going to be there. But uh, that, that's a conversation for another day, Danny. But that, that is a great point. Uh, let's keep going with these unwritten rules of fantasy football. My next question for you. What round is it rude to use the entire clock? I feel like it's always rude to use the entire clock in my opinion I, I like to get things done quickly but when is it officially rude and people start getting upset so I'm a softy on this because fantasy football is my job which is always funny to say out loud but fantasy football is <laughs> my job so I don't want to judge people in the early rounds because it's an important pick and I don't want to judge people in the later rounds because I knew Devin Singletary signed with the Texans in March and everyone else is just finding that out during their draft and so right. I'm never upset if you're googling if you're taking the full timer though for your kicker or your mm. defense, I I might like I might as well just vote for your expulsion. <laughs> Kick you out of the league. Um, yeah, exactly. th th that's the next question. What is it okay to take a defense or a kicker? Um, this has been, you know, back in the Janikowski days, I remember there was a lot of people that would take Janikowski pretty early and people would get up in arms about it. And then you'd have that one guy trying to argue that he actually has more value than your wide receiver for. But w when is it, you know, okay to actually make a move and draft a kicker in today's NFL? Take it in the la take it in the last round. You're gonna cut your kicker anyway when they're in a bye. The people who try to defend <laughs> their kicker early, unless you're related to them or you just love Justin Tucker, are like that guy. The meme of the guy yelling in the girl's ear at a concert, and he's like, "Actually, like Evan McPherson's really good this year, and he just had what?" Like, no one wants to hear this. Like, just take a no kicker last. Yeah, Justin Tucker, I guess, is probably the only one right now that you could get away with. But even then, like you said, when he hits the Ravens have a bye week five, week six, whatever it is, you're cutting him and you're signing the Bengals kicker and the rest is history. And that was a waste of a pick. So I think that's a good point. Um, do you ever draft players uh, like if you hear some scuttlebutt in the room, like some guy saying, I really want this guy. I, I love the Bears, so I want DJ Moore. Is it OK to draft DJ Moore just to piss that guy off, even if you don't like DJ Moore? Is that something that happens in these rooms and? Is that an unwritten rule not to do that, or is it something that's championed by other people in the draft? I'd go the other way. It's an unwritten rule. You should always take your friend's favorite players to piss them off. <laughs> yeah, I would right. say that's like... Agreed. That's, I mean, this is America, Tate. And this is... I mean, what is the point of fantasy football if not to make your friends angry? It's kind of like the entire point. So we actually had a listener. Shout out Ringer Fantasy Football Show. 
Yes. We, you know, FanDuel TV, Spotify. I'm, pr- I'm proud of you guys, man. We're, we're all here on FanDuel TV. Yeah, I mean, the man. show's always been fun. And now on Fridays, you get to see you guys uh, get everything ready for, for Sundays and keep me up to date. So I appreciate it. That's great <laughs> well, we, news. We had a listener who actually, is, he's the only Packers fan in a league of Bears fans. And he took he kept <laughs> Justin Fields to take him off the board solely out of spite. And I'm like, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, and then you send the highlights of Justin Fields whenever he has those highlights to the group, and you say, I love this guy. Uh, what a great pick by me. <laughs> this league is awesome. Uh, exactly. That is a great point. That is a great point. All right, so let's keep rolling here with the unwritten rules. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, what's kind of like the standard roster structure uh, if you're looking for the ideal team. Like, you know, everyone loves to take a picture of their fantasy football team as soon as they're done drafting and say, I like my squad, right? And they tweet it out to the world. But, like, what is the what is the, the best version of a roster you see and you say, I like what they put together here in the modern structure of fantasy football? So you're talking about, like, how should the league be structured? Like, how many positions or just what? overall like type of roster looks like let's start year. with the team structure like what what do you want to hit on your team like what pieces you need to have and then we'll talk about like in the league I guess like what what are the rules like should it, should it be a PPR league and things like that so I think that the for 2023 the most basic advice I could give which I think is different than in past years is I it's kind of like what do they say about vegetables like you should eat the rainbow you mm-hmm. know what I mean yeah like, there's certain apps that the positions you draft are a different color. You kind of want to draft the rainbow to start this year. So run like you can actually start and you want to lock in elite players where you have a tremendous, extraordinary positional advantage where it's basically two players in one. Jalen Hurts had 18 rushing touchdowns in 18 games, if you include the playoffs last year. That's a running back and a quarterback stitched together. Travis Kelsey, the gap between him at number one tight end and the number two tight end last year was bigger than the gap between the number two tight end and the number 22 tight end. So when you can get those kind of elite players, you want to just like, oh, I'll take a quarterback, a running back, a receiver. Like You can get three or four positions, different positions in your first four picks. That's fine. In the absence of that, just lock in elite players and then get guys the high upside later. But overall, mm. I think I'm more willing personally in the past have wanted receivers and running backs early, waited on quarterbacks, I'll get my tight end last. This year, it's more like, yeah, get your sweet potatoes, get your eggplant, you know, get a corn, you know, get all the colors on the plate. Or you could just eat some Skittles, right? I mean, isn't that their whole thing? <laughs> yeah, they say taste the exactly. rainbow. Uh, shout out to Marshawn for that. Um, it is funny, like in the NFL, all we talk about is quarterbacks. And then in fantasy football, their value is pretty mid. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not like you can get Aaron Rodgers in the seventh, eighth round, and it's no big deal. In fact, some people might say that you're drafting him too early. How how hard is that to kind of, you know, you talk about football for real and you talk about fantasy football. How hard is that in your brain to kind of parse those two things? It's ludicrous. I think that so <laughs> this is why I'm a huge proponent of two quarterback leagues or now they call them super flex leagues, which basically is the same thing. But it's a flex spot where you can play a quarterback and because quarterbacks score the most points, you always want to play quarterback there. The only reason you have a super flex is because, you know, if your quarterback's on buy or something, you shouldn't be punished. You can still play a player. But when you have a two quarterback league, it's just supply and demand. The difference between the first quarterback and the 10th honestly isn't that big when everyone has to start two quarterbacks the difference between Mahomes and like Kenny Pickett is huge so mm-hmm. suddenly in a in a one quarterback league Patrick Mahomes a high you're reaching on Patrick Mahomes is like the 15th pick in a two quarterback league Patrick Mahomes is the first pick or Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts that's how football is it's like it's it's honestly if you erased everything we know about fantasy football it is insane it is crazy that a quarterback is not the first pick that would never happen in real life ever. And so I'm a big proponent of maybe a real team doesn't have two quarterbacks, but in a real league, it's like you'd always take a quarterback first. So I, I think it's a more fun way to play. Is there like an underrated quarterback this year in fantasy football that you're kind of, you know, hanging your hat on? And you're saying, I know you like the Giants, so maybe a Daniel Jones is someone he got paid. Maybe he has a big year. Sam Howell, the Commanders, even like a Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson, some of these rookies. Is there anyone that's under the radar that you say you can get later on and you think he might have a lot of value this year? 
I'll give you one for fantasy and then one for real life and also okay. fantasy. Fantasy, it's Anthony Richardson, the rookie for the Colts, you know, most, yeah. most athletic quarterback prospect ever at the University of Florida. I don't know if he's going to be a great quarterback in his first season in real life. He's going to be a lot of growing pains. But in fantasy, because fantasy, the rules are kind of dumb. A rushing yard is worth like almost three times more than a passing yard. Anthony Richardson, I mean, all the rookie rushing quarterback records are kind of in play here if he starts from week one. It's not insane to think he could have one of the five biggest quarterback rushing totals ever if he plays all 17 games as a rookie. So that alone makes him valuable, potentially. In real life, I think Jordan Love for the Packers is potentially going to be fantastic. He might suck. I don't know. I've seen just as much of Jordan Love as you, which is basically nothing. However, I think sitting on the bench is the most underrated thing a quarterback can do. He's extremely talented. I think he's poised. I actually think the Packers offense will be better this year than last year. Oh, I like that. That's a good hot take. And it's also something that's really, you know, ironic because when Love was taken, we all remember Rodgers <laughs> felt a type of way about it. And if uh, Love comes in and performs well, I'm sure Rodgers will have some thoughts on that as well. Um, getting back to just the actual fantasy football of it all, um, are there any rules on tanking and collusion um, or, or anything that you think should be a penalty for that? Because it does feel like the processing, uh, uh, you know, started back in the, you know, the 2010s and now it has leaked into this new decade. And obviously that was more of a basketball thing. But we all love the idea of Al outsmarting the game, uh, of playing chess while all of our friends are playing checkers, tanking, um, you know, colluding with the commissioner. How often do we see this and how do we deal with such actions? You know, we don't see it enough tape, but that's because it lingers in the shadows. And I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's right. We, we've got powerful forces or marionetting or born our, in the our, darkness our for sure. <laughs> exactly. I mean, collusion, let, you know, let's be real Tate. It's, it, it's in vogue these days. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, when you, when you, there's two things here, right? There's tanking and then there's trade vetoes. I think that tanking, frankly, probably if you were a keeper league or a dynasty league, it's like a different conversation. Frankly, you should talk to your friends in the group. Uh, fantasy football I love because it's like the smallest exper possible experiment of democracy. It's the smallest petri dish we have. It's, you know what? You want to change the world. You want to change your country, your town. Actually, let's see if you can convince nine of your closest friends whether you should go to like point per reception. It's hard to get people to change their minds on anything. Right. Or change so, the app that they're using, right? I mean, that's the yeah, other part. Exactly. Like some people are ESPN diehards, and they want to go to you know Sleeper or whatever the, the different you know apps are, and people go crazy over it. They lose their minds. It, Yahoo, whatever people, it is. People lose their minds. So step one is actually <laughs> respect your commissioner if they're good at their job. But to your question, I think if you're in a keeper league, you should actually have a conversation with your friends about: Do we think tanking is okay? Is it okay mm. to be bad on purpose? And then go from there. Like establish whether people because some people are like, yeah, sure, that's the best thing in your franchise. That's fine. I think to your second question about collusion, I feel very strongly about this. Please. Some people look at a trade that's made in their league and they're like, that's not good enough. It's a veto. I vote against it. And I'm like, please shut up. Like, I cannot handle it. You know, Tate, how long have we been watching sports our entire lives? Right. Yeah, how many trades right. have been vetoed in real life? You can remember. I remember Chris Paul. One, Chris Paul, how many <laughs> trades have been made in our life? Thousands, thousands of trades. There's been one veto. Right. You know why? People are allowed to do stupid stuff. This is America. The whole country didn't write it this way, but the entire thing is premised on you could do stupid things, and it's your decision. You do not get a license to tell your friends not to do stupid stuff. If your friend makes a stupid trade, go text them and make a trade with them. You don't get to run your their team just because you think mm -hmm. you could do better. So I, I just, unless you think you're, hey, Actually, he bought him a 30 rack and owes him like 30 bucks. And then in sh instead of the money, he just was like, I'll just trade you Christian McCaffrey. That's a veto. That's collusion. That's not allowed. But if you think even if they're dumb, they were trying to improve their team, the trade goes through. Yeah, I think these are all very valid points. And I do think... As, you know, with time, right, the interest wanes a little bit in some of these, you know, fantasy football leagues that you're in. And there's more collusion because guys are willing to take like a nice, you know, 30 rack or a nice bottle of wine for Christian McCaffrey. And these things are happening more and more. And I think that we got to figure out whatever the punishment is. We have to all get together, talk about it and decide because it is despicable behavior. It's happening at the highest level. And like you said, we, we don't know what to do about it because, uh, you know, these people, they're getting away with it. And uh, you don't want you there people are going to make dumb trades and you got to let them happen but sometimes we can see what's happening here and it's uh it goes all the way to the top that's all i can say it goes all the way to the top we know that yeah, they, um <laughs>
Danny, one last thing before I let you get out of here. Uh, I appreciate you uh, kind of running through, you know, what's happening in fantasy football. What is a uh, what is a player this year on the board that is, uh, you know, he can be a, a well-known player, but just someone that you think is going to have a big year in fantasy. Me personally, I'm a Cooper Cup guy. I think Cooper Cup's going to have a great year. Um, and that's, you know, depending on Matthew Stafford being healthy. But like you said, Stetson Bennett's right there, the new yeah. Pat Mahomes, so he can always step in and make things happen. But is there one player that you targeted this year and you're like, I really like his upside. I think he's going to have a big year in fantasy. You know, it's hard not to pick Stetson Bennett, who has done the, you know, he's stepping into the NFL right at his athletic prime at 26, 27 years old. I don't know why more people don't do that, but um, he's ready to I, go. Yeah. It's hard not to pick. Oh, wow. Voice crack. That was great. Whenever I voice crack on the Ring of Fantasy football show, we just use it as the cold open to punish me. But, um, but so I think, I guess position by position, I think. I think Justin Fields, if the Bears, I mean, they're kind of like a fantasy football paradise where the defense might be terrible. He could make a huge step. I think Trevor Lawrence is the truth. I think mm. Trevor Lawrence could, on, the pick. way we've been talking about Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence might just be that guy first and beat Herbert to the punch there. I could go through every position, but if I had to look at the mix of fantasy, real life, where I'm like, that guy, we will be talking about him in a fundamentally different way a year from now. I, I, I would pick Trevor Lawrence first. I think Trevor Lawrence is a great pick. He's got a fun backup behind him, Nathan Rourke, who, you know, kind of had his whole story come to the forefront against the Cowboys and, you know, his journey from it was Ohio to the CFL back to the NFL. And Doug Peterson's like over on the sidelines, like talking with him and Trevor Lawrence. It does feel like Jacksonville has a little bit of juice. Do you like the Jaguars? I mean, this is not fantasy football related, but if you think Trevor's going to have a good year, do you think the Jaguars are a good bet in their division? Yeah, dude, I think the Jaguars are the fantastic bet. I mean, that's the team that I, I, I mean, the whole, I mean, if we're going to get, I think the whole year is the upside down. We're in the NFL upside down this year. It's, it's, you got the Jaguars are favored to win a division. The Lions are favored to win a division. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, those are the worst teams of the century, basically. The Cleveland Browns not making the playoffs this year is a disaster. So, like, I think that, I, looking across, I think the Jaguars are like the top line item. The Jaguars, I think are going to ascend Patriots going to crash and burn. And I'm like, that's, I just feel like we're in the upside down and the Jaguars are like the forefront of it. Yeah. Who would have thought uh, back when we saw Blake Bortles play the Patriots, you know, in the playoffs <laughs> that one time that this would be the future that we would all be living in. But what a reality it is. Uh, we love the fantasy world as well. Fantasy football show. Go check it out on Fridays. He's the great Danny Heifetz. Danny, thanks so much for coming on the show and we'll have you back, man. Thank you for having me, Tate. 